please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. We're reading from Revelations chapter 20, uh, from, uh, um, from 10, from 10, to 20, 10 through 15. I'm sorry. I should know what I'm preaching on here today. Hear the word of God. <clears throat> and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. God be pleased with the reading of his word. Please be seated. As my retirement date approaches on February 28th, I ask myself, what should be my final series uh, to preach here at Lindbrook Baptist? And uh, I could think of no better series than to share with you the fundamental reason that I, as a Christian and a pastor, have served and lived for which is the gospel message of Christ Jesus. And to begin this series about the good news, which I've entitled The Good News of the Gospel, Part 1, Saved from What? To really understand why it is so good, the news, we must first set the stage and start with the bad news. As one author wrote, the good news is only as good as the bad news is bad. And in Scripture, eternal happiness and eternal everlasting joy are balanced against the alternative, eternal misery and everlasting anguish. Now, the bad news is not only bad, it's really bad. And matter of fact, it's quite terrifying. And it can be summed up in one word, hell. Now, hell has kind of fallen on hard times where no one wants to talk about it, believe in it, or acknowledge it exists. In one sense, this is understandable, but who wants to consider the reality of an eternal conscious punishment for themselves or a loved one? C.S. Lewis wrote, there is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this, if it lay in my power. But it has the full support of Scripture, and especially of our Lord's own words. It has always been held by Christendom. And not only does, do the Scriptures unhesitatingly speak of the reality of hell, but it was Christ who spoke more about hell than anybody else more even about heaven. 
Well, the author says, no Bible spokesman places more stress on hell as the final consequence of God's judgment of condemnation than Jesus. God's son was the great theologian of hell. And the early church held more more of an almost unified consensus on the reality of hell as a place of eternal punishment than their consensus on defining the Trinity. So why did hell fall out of favor in Christian circles? Denying the existence of hell is a mark of liberal churches, for sure, but they deny a, lot of great, a great deal of the scriptures as well. The rise of universalism, where everybody gets to heaven, was another factor. Then we have uh, groups such as Jehovah's Witness and Seventh-day Evangelicals uh, who believe that hell is not an eternal conscious punishment, but complete annihilation. The person in body and spirit ceases to exist. And even within the pale of evangelicalism, uh, there has been a shift in thinking. In the late 60s and early 70s, we see this. Uh, uh, one example is a new statement of faith that was adopted, uh, adopted by and published by Fuller Theological Seminary, and which it became very popular, in which the old uh, statement's language of Christ, quote, assigning unbelievers to eternal punishment was changed to state that, quote, the wicked shall be separated from God's presence. The new, the new uh, statement changed the persons involved from unbelievers to the wicked and the scope of their fate from eternal punishment to being separated from God's presence, thus allowing for a, a greatly broader view. But the truth is, separation from God is no threat to unbelievers who choose to live their whole lives separated from God. Hell becomes nothing more than a continuation of that non-relationship separated from God. And besides that, using the phrase separated from God, though it is found in Scripture, it can be misleading. Since God is omnipresent, His presence is everywhere, even hell. Psalm 139, 7 and 8. If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, if I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Unbelievers will not be separated from God in hell. But without a mediator to shield them, they will only be exposed to the manifested presence of his divine wrath for all eternity. They will know him only as a consuming fire. This attempt to mollify the doctrine and to create a kinder, gentler theology rises not out of scripture, but from our own emotional distaste for the doctrine. One person writes, while not denying the Bible's teaching on hell, it is seldom preached on, even in the most conservative circles. 
One wonders how this can be if pastors are preaching expository messages, working through the Bible books and desiring to proclaim the whole counsel of God. One clue is that positive relational preaching is more the order of the day. For some preachers, this is a conscious and deliberate attempt to see their churches grow through meeting the felt needs of of today's baby boomers and millennials and appealing to their new priorities. Many people today think that speaking about hell is, is, is unloving. They somehow, that somehow some people might have their sensibilities shocked, or that it's so medieval, and it's certainly no way to attract the younger generations. But all of these are lies of Satan, if you still believe in Satan. When there is danger, what better way to show love than to warn somebody of that danger? Isn't that what Jesus did in the Gospels again and again and again? Matthew 18, 8. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and to be thrown into eternal fire. Now, while Jesus is not advocating actual mutilation, he is warning of the dreadfulness of of hell and that one should do anything possible to avoid it. We know the devils and the demons, the beast and the false prophet will be thrown into the fire. Uh, We just read in Revelations 20.10, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. We also know that the wicked will be in hell. Matthew 13 in the parable of the fishnet shows this. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. However, I suspect that hell will be most populated by good people. Good, that is, according to our definition of good. We consider a good person a kind and gentle soul, one who does works on behalf of others, one who tirelessly serves the poor and the needy, or is a champion of justice of the oppressed, an altruistic individual who generously gives his, his, disperses his money, or even the organ donor, even the loving grandma. These are all good people, and they enrich our lives. They are only good by man's definition, not God's. They refuse to believe Christ as their Savior and receive life. Therefore, in the final judgment before God, as Revelation 20.15 shows, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Anyone.
That is why when the disciples returned to Jesus, excited about going out and casting out demons in Luke 10, 20, Jesus said to them, However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. When the rich young ruler approached Jesus, he asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Notice that Jesus says there's only one who is good. And that is God. It is his criteria of good. His definition of good is what is important. Matthew 5, 48, Jesus tells uh, those who are standing before him, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And even as in Jesus giving the answer to this young man, keep the commandments, meaning keeping them perfectly, it shows our inability to truly do good, according to God's definition. Paul wrote in Romans 3.20, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we became conscious of our sin. No one can keep the commandments perfectly. Little white lie that breaks the commandment. Thou shalt not lie. Feeding our lust by viewing pornography breaks the commandment. You shall not commit adultery, because Jesus said, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. And we are less than truthful on our income tax. We break the commandment, thou shalt not steal. And who can truly say that they love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength? No one can keep the law perfectly. And the hard truth is that there are consequences to breaking the law, breaking the commandments, whether it's one or all of them, and whether it's once or continually. James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. And in breaking the law, there is only one sentence, one pronouncement by the holy God whose eyes are too pure to even look upon evil and its judgment, followed by damnation. Only sinless perfection merits heaven. Romans 3, 10 through 12 reminds us, Paul writes, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. No one does good according to God's standard of perfection. And ever since Adam sinned and brought death and corruption into the, upon the whole race, and with that judgment upon sin, hell is the eternal destiny of every person because no one is perfect. And hell is more dreadful than we could ever imagine. You know, the unbelieving world likes to joke about hell. 
to use gallows humor, humor that makes fun of a life-threatening or disastrous or terrifying situation. They think they'll be at an endless party or enjoy unrestrained sin and carouse around with their buddies and their friends. And Satan uses such lies to blind people to the horrors that await them. Just as he whispered to Eve, you shall not die. But she did. And Adam. And the sin and death passed on to all people. Only fools think hell is a laughing matter. Consider some of the horrific words and phrases our Lord uses to describe hell. Matthew 13, 50. He will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mark 6, 48. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than two eyes than be thrown in hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Matthew 3.12, but the chafe will be burned with unquenchable fire. Jude 13, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Revelations 10.11, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. And Jesus uses the, the account of the rich man and Lazarus. In Luke 16, the rich man died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Matthew 25, 41, Jesus says, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devils and his angels. And finally, Matthew 25, 46, They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And this last verse is important because it shows us that it will be, in fact, eternal punishment. Some want to lessen that statement and shorten the punishment. But the two are in parallel. Eternal punishment, eternal life. Lessen that eternal punishment, you lessen it at eternal life. They are equal. And nobody wants to shorten eternal life. Punishment of hell is for eternity. There is no relief. There is no hope of relief. The author Dante, in his classic poem, The Inferno, was correct when he wrote that the words over the gates of hell read, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. At the last judgment, when the Righteous experience the resurrection to life of John 5.29. The King James Version has it, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Before the burning throne of the Lamb, 
every knee will bow. Righteous bow and worship, and thanksgiving and gratitude, while the unrighteous in trembling fear, wishing that the mountains to fall upon them and hide them from the eyes of, of the Lord, which are like fire. Punishment, just, irrevocable, and eternal. Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devils and his angels. Depart into eternal fire forever. Daniel Davies, the, the famed southern preacher during the Great Awakening, penned, forever, there is no exhausting of that word. When it is fixed to the highest degree of misery, the terror of the sound is unbearable. Forever. Hell is a place devoid of the slightest glimmer of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Find a speck. So if there's no one who is truly good, no one who seeks God or can be perfect, if there is nothing we can do, can do to avoid the judgment of hell, we might cry out with the disciples, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. Oh, those dreadful words. Impossible. Before the holy judge as sinners, we can do nothing to warrant salvation. We are all guilty of sin, and all sin must be punished. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and hell is the punishment. The statement Jesus made to the religious leaders becomes our dilemma. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Truth? Only one escape. But, let's finish that statement of Jesus' response to the disciples. With men, this is impossible, but... With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible, and that means our salvation. R.C. Sproul made a profound statement when he pointed out the grand paradox or supreme irony of the Christian faith is that we are saved both by God from God. We are saved by God from God. The scriptures claim that we are saved by God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And Titus 3, 4 through 6 declares, But when the kindness 
and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Yes, we are saved by God. But we're also saved from God. Luke 12, 5. But I will show you whom you should fear. Jesus says, fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Talking about God. Romans 2, 5 warns, but because of the your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourselves for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Saved by God. From God. Since we had no interest in God and could do nothing to save ourselves and had no interest in it, out of his great love, God stepped in. John 3, 16 to 18 points the one way of salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And what these verses show us is that outside of faith in Jesus Christ, everyone stands condemned to hell already. But there is a way out. A way not only to avoid hell, but to enjoy the glories of heaven. Blessings of heaven. And the one way is to put our faith and trust in Christ and his redeeming work on our behalf. And I say, flee to him today. Confess that you are a sinner and repent today. Call on the name of the Lord today and be saved. Saved from what? The wrath of God and hell. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Faith in Christ Jesus is the escape and the only place to find salvation. Next week, I'll explore just how Christ does that. But today, after seeing what we are saved from, I must implore you, anyone who is out there, anyone who's sitting at home, if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, and I don't mean know about them, I mean put your faith and trust in him today, I implore you, to do so now. Him alone 
can we find salvation. For every one of us who is outside of Christ stands on the brink of eternity in hell. As the crowd who was listening to Peter at, preaching at Pentecost, they shouted after him, he said, what shall we do? And I give the same answer as Peter. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Confessing your sins in repentance calling upon Jesus as your Savior, and authenticating that testimony by being baptized. Doctrine of hell. It's a hard doctrine. Pastor Tim Keller wrote, if we play down harsh doctrines, we will gut our pleasant and comfortable beliefs as well. Let me close with this from A.W. Pink. What is needed today is a scriptural setting forth of the character of God, his absolute sovereignty, his ineffable holiness, his inflexible, inflexible justice, his unchanging truthfulness. What is needed today is a scriptural setting forth of the condition of the natural man, his total depravity, his spiritual insensibility, his stubborn hostility to God, the fact that he is condemned already, and that the wrath of a sin-hating God is even now abiding upon him. What is needed today is a scriptural setting forth of the alarming danger in which sinners are, the indescribably awful doom which awaits them, the fact that if they follow only a little further their present course, they shall most certainly suffer the due reward of their iniquities. What is needed today is a scriptural setting forth of the nature of that punishment which awaits the lost, the awfulness of it, the hopelessness of it, the unendurableness of it, the endlessness of it. That I have just presented to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you humbled and filled with thanksgiving for what you have done in saving us. Oh Lord, even the, just the thought of hell sends chills up our spine. And how grateful we are that you have saved us. And Lord, my prayer is today that if there is anyone in this auditorium, anyone who is viewing at home, who knows that they have not committed their lives to Christ. They may be good people, but they haven't called upon Jesus as Savior and followed it through, Lord, being baptized. I pray that you would do that. It motivate them to do that today. Help them to repent. I ask you, Lord, to save them. Lord, it's a prayer that you always hear and always receive. So, Lord, we commit them to you. Ask your blessings upon them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Today is Communion Sunday.
first Sunday of the month, as, and we always observe the Lord's table. 